Oh Lord God, as we come to you for our Bible study this evening, we just offer ourselves humbly in your presence. We rely upon the forgiveness that you give. We rely upon your strength. We rely upon your wisdom. So we offer ourselves as your servants. We pray that you would guide us by your spirit, that you would direct us into the work that you would have us do, and help us, O Lord, always to honor you with our words and with our actions. May you be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're studying the Great Tribulation, and I want to pick up where I left off last last time. Um, Before I do that, uh, we were talking about the meaning of tribulation, and, and tribulation, what it means is, it, like I said last time, it's a common word. It can mean affliction or persecution or trouble or just, just any of those words. You know, the, uh, the idea of going through a hard time, that's a tribulation. So it could be a persecution from other people or it could just be a hard time that you're experiencing maybe because of health or, or whatever. So it's a common word. And what we wanted to do, or what we want to do, or look at the, what the book of Revelation says about the tribulation. That, that, that is our starting point, if you remember from last time. Now, as we were talking about tribulation, we were talking about persecution, and I asked the question, and we had a little bit of a discussion as to what kind of persecutions do Christians experience today? So we uh, discussed some of those things, and, and I uh, read a book since last week, David Jeremiah's The Book of Signs, and he actually uh, lists five different ways that Christians are persecuted in the United States today. So let me share those five things with you, and uh, we can maybe talk about those. He's really good at, at uh, identifying them and then bringing examples, you know, real-life examples of how Uh, These things are kind of being fleshed out in our society today. So he was really good about that. And I would recommend uh, the book for you to read. But here are the the five things, the five ways Christians are being persecuted. So his first one is stereotyping. Stereotyping. Our society is stereotyping Christians in a certain way. Um, So this might be, well, Christians are dumb. You know, that, that would be a stereotype. Uh, Christians are this, or Christians are fanatical, or Christians, some kind of characterization of Christians that, that uh, just kind of puts them in a negative light, right? You know what I mean? So I think that there's a lot of, of uh, these things going on. Um, have you ever, has anybody ever read Jane Austen or seen some of the Jane Austen movies? All right, we have one. Just one? Two? Or you're just embarrassed to raise your hand. <laughs> Jane Austen is an author from the 18th century. Uh, some of her works have, are, are kind of, they're just really popular. They've been remade over and over again. So Jane Austen, in almost all of her books, the pastor is a ding-dong. You know, he's just really dumb. And the, the view of, you know, the church and the, the pastor and the religious people and the Christians has just kind of been taking on that flavor as time has passed on. And so we come to a day today where Christians are kind of stereotyped as because they're ignorant or whatever, they just have nothing to say and nothing to contribute. Uh, in a, you know, that's, that's a real way to our society. So that's a stereotype. And I do believe that that's a type of persecution that we're experiencing because if we do try to say anything as Christians, while well, we're almost, you know, always just kind of, well, you guys are just, you know, dumb and you don't know anything and 
Yeah, you can talk all you want, but blah, 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 it doesn't matter. Uh, the second persecution that David Jeremiah identifies, and I didn't realize that David Jeremiah was such an end times enthusiast. I, he's written a whole lot of books on, I just had no idea until I looked up this book here. But uh, anyway, the second persecution is uh, marginalizing. So Christians are marginalized. Because, you're, because we're dumb and because we have nothing to say and you know, because it's like, uh, you know, uh, one, one of the other stereotypical approaches is that, well, you know, we go by faith, not, not by understanding. So, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's a, the kind of thing where, uh, have you ever heard Christians say, well, I don't understand, but I just believe it. Have you ever heard a Christian Christians say that. You might have said that too. I mean, I've said it. And uh, I, I think uh, because of this marginalizing, we, we have to kind of maybe take that a little back and don't say that as quickly. I mean, it's true of everybody. Not every, nobody knows everything, right? Uh, we're, we're just uh, maybe more apt to admit it because of this thing called faith, which is really important. It's not to be diminished at all. We don't understand everything. We don't understand all the circumstances or the, the reasons why we go through things. But we do understand or believe in the God who created everything, right? And so we know that he's strong and we know that he's good and we know that he's loving and we know that he's merciful. We know he's all of these great things. And we kind of have faith in him and bank on him to help us through life even if we don't understand all the ins and outs. So... So that's a, it's not a bad thing. However, the world has kind of picked it up and said, you see, you know, you're just kind of punting to faith. You don't know anything. You guys are just dumbheads. And, uh, and so we get pushed to the, to the sidelines where we can't make any kind of impact. So that's marginalizing. Then there's uh, threatening. We're, we're threatened. And I think we did kind of pick up on this in the, the last three here. We're threatened if we say something, then, you know, there's this strong pushback in, in our day. So we're really not as free to speak as maybe we once were. And uh, maybe because of the stereotyping and marginalizing that has taken place, um, there's, there's kind of a, well, don't say anything. You know, I'm glad it works for you, but, but uh, uh, don't try to push your religion on me kind of a thing. So there's this, this subtle threat that is... Uh, against us. There's intimidation, and I think uh, threatening and intimidation are kind of very similar here. Uh, if you say this, then, you know, you better look out, and uh, we're viewed in all kinds of ways, especially with the homosexual movement, and, you know, we might be viewed as just uh, uh, homophobic and, and just kind of things that aren't really true. Um, so there's this intimidation, you know, against Christians, uh, that goes along with the threats. And then, of course, there's litigation. So if we, I think somebody brought up uh, last time in our discussion about um, somebody that refused to render services. You know, he was a business owner and refused to render services. I think it was a cake, right? Was it a cake, cake making? The, he refused to make a, a cake or the business did. I don't, I don't know the details of that. And so, you know, they start to um, take Christians to court for their... Uh, you know, they're passing these laws, these hate, these hate laws. You know, we're, we can't say anything negative against uh, the homosexual movement. Otherwise, this can be viewed as a hate crime. And as a result, you know, there could be lawsuits and litigation as a result of that. So anyway, those are five 
uh, persecutions of believers that David Jeremiah identifies in his book uh, on uh, the, sign, the book of signs. Now, in our study, what we're doing is we're looking at the tribulation period and we're trying to discover what the Bible or what Revelation in particular has to say about the tribulation period. As a matter of fact, if we have any further discussions, it's going to be a part of this reflections on Revelation because, again, like I said, Revelation is or ought to be our starting point when we look to anything concerning the end times. So uh, we're looking at this tribulation or looking for a tribulation period. The tribulation period, as we understand it, I think, is that there's this worldwide persecution that takes place, this worldwide trouble that comes upon the earth because, you know, things are unraveling, the Antichrist is coming on the scene and so on and so forth. And so that's what we're looking at, looking for, and that's what we're going to try to deal with. And we're dealing with the end times, so we're going to kind of focus on that. Remember, the word tribulation is just very broad, so we're going to find it in a lot of different contexts. But we're looking specifically for tribulation that refers to some kind of tribulation um, towards the end times. And uh, I I had some assumptions, which I'll just uh, state really quickly again, some assumptions about the book of Revelation. And just keep in mind, uh, you might say, well, yeah, of course, but not everybody holds these assumptions concerning the book of Revelation. So I do believe that it is a, a, a biblical book of the Bible and it has been revealed by God. God is the author of the book of, the, of Revelation. He has revealed it. He revealed it to his servant, John. He told John, write what you see and write what you hear. Write it in a book and send it to the churches. And so I believe that. That's one of my assumptions about the book of Revelation. The second assumption I'm making about the book of Revelation is that it is prophetic. It is something that tells us about the events that will take place as Jesus returns to this earth. All right, so it is prophetic. I do not believe it's uh, fulfilled in the past or if it, that it's just some kind of ideological or principled book meant to encourage us in our life. I do believe it is prophetic and it speaks of events that will take place as Christ come, comes back. And then my last presupposition here is that it is, as we read it, we're going to see a combination of literal things and symbolic things. So sometimes you have things that stand for something else. So we see the lamb who has seven eyes. Now we know that no lamb on earth has seven eyes. And so at that point, we're not necessarily looking for a lamb that has seven eyes, but the seven eyes are standing for something else. And so at that point, it becomes symbolic. As a matter of fact, the fact that we see a lamb is symbolic because the lamb symbolizes who? Christ, right. So the lamb is symbolic. It points us to Jesus Christ. So there is some element of symbolism. There is also, since it's prophetic, some element of uh, literalism that we're to take. And I believe that there's a combination of the two. A lot of times, uh, for example, with the, the example of the lamb, we just automatically do it. We, we read about the lamb and we read that he has seven eyes and our literal minds just kind of turn off and we know that it's a symbolic representation of Jesus. And we have no problem with that. So that, that's kind of uh, where I'm coming from uh, as far as presuppositions uh, for the book of Revelation. Okay? So we left off <clears throat> right at this point and what we want to do is look at Revelation. So here's what we covered last week. We covered the first one, the meaning of tribulation, and the second one, believers will experience tribulation. And now we come to the third one, tribulation in the book of Revelation. So that's going to be our starting point for specific 
uh, information concerning the tribulation period at the end of times. All right, are we ready to go? Does anybody have any questions? All right, there are five occurrences of the word tribulation in the book of Revelation. Five. So here's the first one. It is right at the beginning in the introduction. So I, John, this is verse 9, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right, so there I've underlined the word tribulation. And as we read this verse, do we see in this verse a tribulation period that is at the end of times prior to Jesus coming back? That's worldwide. Do we, do we see that in this verse? Well, probably not, because John is talking about the tribulation that he is experiencing, right? And there was a persecution during the time of John, and who knows anything about John? Why is he, where is he, and what's happening in the life of John at this period of time? Does anybody remember anything about John? Well, what island is he on, first of all? He's... Yeah, he's on the island of Patmos, which is a little island off of the, the Greek or Turkish coast. Now I can't even, I can't remember where exactly it is. Maybe if, anybody know? Off of Sicily? Yeah, it's somewhere over there in the Mediterranean, and uh, maybe somebody can look it up. The island of Patmos. So, Paul, what is John doing on the island? How did he get there? He what? He was exiled there. So he's experienced some persecution. Does anybody remember why? It says, it says right here, I think, right? Your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. He was on the island of Patmos for? For the what? That's right. He's there before the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. So he's, he's been preaching He's been teaching, he's been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when this persecution came upon the church, uh, it impacted him, they took him, and they exiled him to the island of Patmos. Did anybody find Patmos in their Bibles? Or did you stop looking? Okay, so you don't, all right, it's not on your map. Are you guys going to make me, all right, I'm going to look on my map. I love looking at maps. Did you find it? Who's got it? I don't think I have a map. Carrie, you got it? <laughs> it's in the water somewhere, right? <laughs> okay, so it's going to be off of the coast of Turkey then, probably. All right, so it's going to be it's going to be in the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey, right? In there somewhere. Uh, Debbie? Okay. Well, my, my uh, I don't know the geography that well, and my map isn't that good, but it, it's over there. I, I should get a map. Next time I'll probably have a map for you guys, but anyway. So... Uh, <laughs> Anybody love maps like I love maps? I didn't even think to, to uh, bring one. But. Okay, so John is on Patmos. He's been exiled there because he has been preaching the gospel. And so this is a persecution against him. He is experiencing the uh, tribulation in his life. 
But this is a tribulation that refers to John. This, this is, a, and some of the other Christians at that time. But it's not what we would typically understand as the great tribulation, which would be, you know, a very uh, wide-ranging and world-encompassing kind of thing. So he's using the word tribulation, but it's not the, the one that we're looking for in this verse, okay? So let's, uh, let's go to the next Two instances are in the, these verses here. Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. So you'll notice there's two occurrences of tribulation in these verses, and I've underlined both of them. So that's the word that we're looking at. And this is with respect to the church at Smyrna. He says, I know your works. Let me, let me just make sure about that. I know your works. Tribulation, there's our word the church at Smyrna, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are, of, are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation, there's the second occurrence of the word, ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. All right? So a powerful... Uh, exhortation comes to the church of Smyrna. There are two occurrences of the word tribulation in these verses. And as we look at these words, as they are used here, are we looking at this worldwide kind of trouble? Um, Is this a great tribulation or is this just another kind of local? Okay, I would say local. So we're talking about the church of Smyrna, right? And they're being persecuted and he says you're going to be persecuted for 10 days and there's a lot of uh, debate as to what the 10 days means but uh, the point is this they will have tribulation not not the whole world it's them just the church of smyrna it's in the context here and it's using this uh, word in a normal way all right so that's uh, three occurrences of the word tribulation. Let's go to the last one. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 22. And this is with uh, the church of Thyatira. And it says in verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her, so he's talking about Jezebel, and those of Thyatira who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Now, this occurrence of tribulation is a little bit different because now it's got in front of it the word great, which brings us in our minds to the great tribulation. So this, uh, this kind of maybe speaks to that, but what do you think? Are we talking about a worldwide tribulation here or do we need to look further? All right, we probably need to look a little bit further because who is going to experience great tribulation here? Yeah, the, 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 the church at Thyatira, he, he's kind of saying, look, you know, if you don't, if you don't uh, get rid of this Jezebel woman who you're committing adultery with, you, are, you and, and that's kind of the key word here, you are going to experience great tribulation. So they might have a really, really hard time, but again, it's only a, only a local kind of persecution. It's for them, that church, for whatever reason, okay? So uh, that's... That's four occurrences of tribulation, and there's one more that we need to look at, and for this, I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 
And let me put verse 14 on the screen here. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 says, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So this is the verse that has the word tribulation in it. And you'll notice also it has the word great before it. So we're referring to a great tribulation. And the people that are described here are those who come out of that great tribulation. And they are those who have experienced salvation. As it says, you know, they washed their robes and made them white. Now, if we just read this verse, we can't really decide whether this is the kind of great tribulation we're looking for or not. So we're going to go back to Revelation chapter 7, and we're going to start reading in verse 9. And uh, as I'm reading from 7, I'm going to read the whole section of these uh, of this vision that he sees, this part of the vision. I'm going to read that. And I want you to look for the clue that tells us whether it is this worldwide great tribulation or not. Okay, just kind of look for the clues as I'm reading here. So it says in verse 9, Revelation 7, 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night and in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that's the account of this vision of these souls under the throne that come out of the Great Tribulation. Now, are there any clues as to whether or not this Great Tribulation is a worldwide kind of tribulation, or is it just local to these believers, whoever they might be? Any, anybody spot any clues there? Yeah, good. That's right. Good. So, yeah, so look at verse 9. It says, Behold, a great multitude which no one could number, so there's a whole lot of them, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne. So right there, that reference to all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues tells us that this great tribulation that these souls under the throne have come out of is a kind of a worldwide kind of tribulation. So this is the last reference or use of the word tribulation in the book of Revelation, and it does in fact point us towards this worldwide, all-encompassing kind of affliction or persecution that's going to take place on the earth. All right, so let's, let's look at the text again, and let's uh, get a little closer and see some of the things that it, that it tells us. And if you have any questions about anything that we read, just uh, go ahead and raise your hand and, and we can 
uh, take it. There's a lot here. So verse 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Hey, you remember this verse? I read this on Palm Sunday. So uh, anyway, um, that's because I had been studying it already back then. <laughs> but yeah, so this is, this is pretty cool. I think, I think what stands out to me the most about this is that we see people saved from all around the world. And these saved people are going to be persecuted or killed because of their, well, you know, well, they're going to be persecuted and killed, but because they believe in Jesus, they are there before the throne. So, so that's really encouraging. You know, it gives us a broader perspective of what Christianity is all about. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to just kind of fall into our little uh, groove here, and uh, we, we live in, in uh, this part of the world, and whoever thought... How many of you were born and, born and bred in West Virginia? Anybody? A lot of you. How many of you have come from somewhere else outside of West Virginia? All right. Oh, okay. That's a good number both ways. I'm uh, from Florida originally, if you can tell from my accent, right? But, uh, uh, it, it, you know, we live here in West Virginia, and we come to this, we come to this church in our part of the world, and... and uh, we don't, a lot of times we just don't realize what's going on in the rest of the world, not until somebody points it out uh, to us. So uh, this kind of shows us that this thing called Christianity is all across the world, and there are many people um, in other parts of the world who are really suffering for their faith in Christ. So again, you know, De- Jeremiah's book, he, he talks about some of the suffering and the persecution that, pe- that Christians are experiencing in other parts of the world. And um, we mentioned this last time a little bit. Um, we have some persecution, as we talked about earlier, but uh, it's not the same kind of persecution that people in other parts of the world are experiencing. For them, it's a life and death. It's a life and death thing. They're thrown, in, they're arrested, they're thrown in jail, or they're fined, or they're uh, killed, or whatever. You know, in other parts of the world. And there are some parts of the world where it is illegal to be a Christian. So if you want to go to any of these Muslim countries. Um, as a Christian, it is illegal, and they will arrest you, and they will, they're fanatical about their faith. Uh, it's not like, you know, the idea of tolerance, that's a Western, that's a Western idea. You get out of the West, and the idea of tolerance is gone, out the window. So uh, um, we, we are seeing here in this verse that there are Christians, people who believe in all parts of the world, and they will die for their faith. And they appear before the throne. It says, a great multitude which no one could number. So it's not just a few. We're talking about a whole lot of people. Um, verse 10. And I, got a, I've got, I came across this uh, slide which kind of uh, uh, illustrate, writes the verse but in an illustrated way. So this is what they're saying. They're holding palm branches in their hands and they have white robes which symbolize their they have been cleaned. And it says in verse 10, crying out with a loud voice. So this is this great multitude of believers before the throne. They're crying out with a loud voice saying, and this is it. This is their praise. Salvation belongs to our God, to our God who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb. That is their praise. And what a great praise that is. They are thanking God for the salvation that has come to Jesus Christ. And why is that great? Because they lost their lives on this earth in a great tribulation, but because they believed in Jesus, they went immediately where? Into his presence. And so what a great hope that is. As a matter of fact, that hope gives us the strength to face persecution and threat on this earth, right? If I know that Jesus wants me to share him, and there might be a threat against me as a result of that, I can still find the boldness and the courage to go forward with that because even if they should take my life, I will still end up in the, I will end up in the presence of the Lord. And they can't do, nobody can do anything about that. So praise the Lord, that's what has happened here. And they sing out this praise, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then something amazing happens. All the angels stood around the throne. And the elders, that's the 24 elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I love the way it starts with an amen, that praise there, and it ends with an amen. We, we just kind of tack on amen at the end of our prayers, right? But uh, here it's like, starts it, amen, pray, end it, amen. What does amen mean? Does anybody know what uh, the word literally means? Yeah, so be it. So let it be. So that's a, a in, in the Gospels, it's translated as truly, truly, or surely, surely. You don't remember when Jesus is talking sometimes? He's really saying amen and amen, and then he says whatever he has to say. So it's a, a, there's no direct translation. That's why we use the word amen. And it's a very uh, versatile uh, expression to be used in our prayers. You know, we're praying to God, so let it be. Uh, and we praise, praise him and pray to him. So that's what all. So the, these these living these uh, these believers who have been persecuted and who have lost their lives, they praise the Lord, and then, like all of the rest of heaven, breaks into praise. They start the praise, and then the rest of heaven just breaks into praise. All of the angels, it says, and the elders and the four living creatures, they worship God. Now there's something unique or different between the praise of those saints and the praise of all of the angels. What's the difference between the two? Now look at the souls. They're praising the Lord for what? Their salvation. But the angels aren't doing that. They're just, they're worshiping God. They're Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Now, this would be an interesting study if you go through the book of Revelation. I don't know if you would find any angel thanking or praising the Lamb for his salvation. Because salvation is something that he did for for us, for mankind. So this is an interesting distinction here between the praise of the souls and the praise of the angels. So the angels worship, the angels, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, they worship God on the throne. They don't mention the lamb here, but it's not, they do worship the lamb in other places. 
Um, they give praise to God. And by the way, there's a lot of debate as to who the 24 elders are, right? I don't know if you're familiar, if you've ever heard of that, but um, there's these 24 elders that are before the throne constantly. We're introduced to them in the book of Revelation. And uh, many suggestions have been made. I, I think one of the most popular suggestions is that, well, 12 Twelve of the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and 12, the other 12 of the 24 elders represent the 12 disciples. So between the, the uh, Old Testament uh, tribes and the disciples of the New Testament, you have all of the people of God represented by these 24 elders. And that's a, there's a pretty compelling case for that. However, uh, I have this, uh, just to put the bug in your ear here, their praise is along with the angels and the elders and the, well, that's them, the elders, and the four living creatures. They're put in that group there. And it, and it might be that these 24 elders may not represent the people on the earth, but in fact are another angelic kind of created being that are worshiping there uh, before the throne. So anyway, just to kind of throw that out there, uh, it still could be, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not dogmatic about these things. I'm doing the best that I can because studying the future and the end times and studying the book of Revelation is uh, just very, very difficult and challenging. So like I said last time, if I say anything, don't get upset with me. If I say anything that uh, goes contrary to what you already know, uh, don't get upset with me. Just uh, kind of maybe file it or let it go or whatever you want. And uh, we try to work through this together. You can, anything good, you can hang it on your hooks in your head. Anything bad, just uh, throw by the wayside for the garbage pickup a little bit later. All right, so uh, I think we're out of time. So any any questions before we're gonna, next time? What we're going to do is we're going to pick up. Or there's some other really interesting uh, points that come out in this passage as we consider this great tribulation. Uh, we'll we'll start with that, Lord willing, next time.